Hello, and welcome to the first edition of the Bucket Problems Solo Show. I am your host, Ace Ambender, and as you might have guessed, it's just me today. This is the second podcast of the week. This is going to be a regular thing moving forward. Also a regular thing moving forward is that the pod, or sorry, not the podcast, the newsletter at thebucketproblem.com is going to move behind a paywall relatively soon, uh, probably within the next week or so, because uh, I need to make a living. So um, the main podcast is going to remain free. This show, which will either be something along the lines of me doing a mailbag, which is this week's edition, or me having a guest on, or possibly doing some sort of live instant Q&A to a game, something like that. I am currently kicking around a few ideas. Um, This will also be part of the subscription. It will go on a separate feed eventually from the main podcast uh, because I want this to be something that's more of a direct line between me and the subscribers and also make sure that people are getting good bang for their buck uh, when they sign up. So that is the plan going forward. I will keep everybody updated on both the podcast and the newsletter. Uh, but welcome. This is going to just be kind of my space for the, for the moment to um, interact with you, bring on people that I, I hope you will really enjoy listening to. If you heard the podcast that I did, I think in July at this point, uh, time is just a construct by now. Um, but the podcast I did a little while ago with Stephen Godfrey of Secret Base and Split Zone Duo, I think I can say both those things now. Um, that's uh, that's kind of what you can expect uh, going forward from this. So I've, to start off, I really appreciate y'all listening, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this all goes. Uh, and with that, I unfortunately start with something that is not a mailbag question, um, but a reaction to some news that came down today. Um, ESPN's Dan Murphy, who has done phenomenal reporting on, uh, and I should preface this with a content warning, this regards um, the Robert Anderson uh, case. So um, if you are sensitive to matters of uh, regarding sexual assault, um, by all means, uh, skip ahead. I will put a t- timestamp in the show notes, uh, to say when this part of the conversation is over. Um, sorry. Uh, so ESPN's Dan Murphy, um, released a report today saying that, um, several former Michigan players, including, um, Henry Hill, who, uh, was a team captain and the team's most valuable player in 1970, um, have sued uh, the Board of Regents at the university saying they violated the state's Open Meetings Act um, because um, they, Hill and uh, other um, survivors of Robert Anderson wanted to speak at a Regents meeting this summer, but um, they were denied um, with the board citing uh, their policy that limits... uh, public comment to five speakers per monthly meeting on any particular subject. Um, 
Hill told ESPN, I thought I had a voice. I thought I had a perspective. I was a black captain in that era. I thought I had a perspective that should be heard. Um, and he made it, it in that report on ESPN. There are specifics regarding uh, his allegations against Robert Anderson. Um, Anderson utilized um, the threat of the draft in the Vietnam War uh, to commit his crimes. Um, it's uh, just unimaginably cruel and to not um, hear Henry Hill out. I don't care how long you have to be at that meeting. Um, a university spokesman did not um, reply to a request for comment uh, when Thursday morning before that article was released. Um, the article also goes on to note, I'll just read this straight from it. Um, University President Mark Schlissel apologized to Anderson's victims for the doctor's misconduct and the school said it hopes that it settled negligence claims outside of court for, quote, more certain, faster relief. The university said 16 months ago that it was setting up a framework to handle those claims, but hasn't provided a public update on their process since. Um, that's kind of how U of M has handled all of this, so it's not particularly surprised to hear that it extends to the regents. Um, it's deeply disappointing, and... It, it makes it really difficult. I, I mean, I'm I'm really doing my best to separate the students and athletes, and um, you know, I, even beyond that, uh, you know, a lot of the people at the university who I mean, I grew up here, I went to school here, I've covered the athletic department. Uh, I mean, since I was in school, um, in some form or another. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of great, great people trying to make the University of Michigan a really, you know, the place it says it is. Um, but the leadership right now is completely failing. Um, the way that the school has handled the Robert Anderson claims is to essentially, um, you know, hide behind the threat of lawsuits and, you know, covering their asses. And going so far in that direction that there is zero humanity to their response, despite, you know, what they said almost a year and a half ago at this point. And, I mean, we had Jim Harbaugh speak out in support of Bo Schembechler. Um, same with Jim Branstadter. Um, Dan Deerdorf signed on to uh, open letters supporting Schembechler. Um Harbaugh is obviously still the coach. Uh, not only that, he has not had to walk back his comments at all. I don't even believe he's been asked about it. Um, Jim Brandstatter and Dan Deerdorf uh, are still calling the games and, in fact, just announced their retirement following this season on their terms. Brandstatter is also kind of the... Uh, I mean, Harbaugh and Brandstatter are the faces of the program in terms of Harbaugh is obviously the public face uh and the most prominent member, and then Brandstatter to Michigan football fans is the radio voice and the person who hosts Inside Michigan Football, um, and is kind of he's the voice of Michigan football right now. Um, and your voices of Michigan football have supported Bo Schembechler's inaction when uh, there was an abuser in his program. He protected that abuser, and those guys are protecting him.
and um, the athletic department has not pushed back on that. And by allowing them to not comment on any of this and maintain their positions and continue operating in business as usual terms, um, that is tacit support for what they have said. And it sends exactly the wrong message from the university regarding how seriously they're taking this and their dedication to actually doing the right thing. And given the severity of what has happened here, that's honestly disgusting. And it's, um, it's also not, as I said before, it's not surprising. Um, this is not something that's just limited to the, to the athletic department. Um, Mark Schlissel and the university have done uh, a well-documentedly terrible job of handling widespread sexual assault uh, and misconduct allegations uh, against other prominent members in the university, including um, Provost Martin Filbert, who somehow got through uh, several promotions and you know alleged background checks um, without his uh, consistent pattern of sexual harassment um, being taken into account. It had been reported. Uh, to uh, people in power, but nobody took that seriously. And uh, that also uh, very much seems to have been the case uh, with um, now-fired Professor Walter Lusecki. Um, Again, the university ignored a lot of warnings repeatedly, um, and it's it, it continually takes the most extreme exertion of public pressure and the university facing a large amount of public embarrassment for them to take any action. Um, You know, it's required lawsuits or reporting from the Michigan Daily or both um, or, you know, uh, serious reporting done from the likes of Kim Kozlowski at the Detroit News and uh, David Jesse at uh, the Detroit Free Press. These are not, um, you know, at least regarding the the Robert Anderson case, these are not sports reporters. These are higher education reporters. Um, It is really, I mean, disappointing does not really describe it um, to look at your alma mater and feel like you cannot trust it to handle um, very serious matters, uh, particularly um, sexual assault and harassment, um, with even a modicum of decency, and that their word doesn't mean anything. Uh, I'm going to do my best to separate uh, sports from the university. Obviously, those that cannot be done entirely, um, but this is what I do, um, and you know I think the athletes that and at least most of the coaches in the athletic department uh deserve and and, you know a lot of the people in the athletic department that you know go well beyond just the staff directly tied to any one program there are a lot like i said before a lot of great people there um but the university itself and those people deserve you know straightforward coverage uh, about what they're doing and i'm happily here to do that um but right now I'm not here to support the University of Michigan. Uh, and for me, that means 
not giving the school any money. And if you went to U of M, you know they ask. Um, and in every way possible regarding the athletic department, uh, finding a way to give money to the athletes directly, uh, whether that's um, buying one of their T-shirts that they're advertising or uh, buying one of their greetings on Cameo, um, you know, something involving name, image, and likeness where as much of the money as possible is going directly to the athlete. Um, Because, you know, I watch the games on TV and... I'm still going to root for Michigan, but uh, this is not a university that I could support as a whole right now. And um, it's really difficult um, as a victim myself, not of not of Robert Anderson, but of uh, sexual assault. I, I just, it guts me that Michigan is handling it this way and that um, there are so many survivors of Robert Anderson right now who are having to experience being treated this way. Um, I, I, I hope the university can change its ways, and I suspect that it is going to take a lot of change at the top. And before I, I mean, I'll say right now that I would very much support Mark Schlissel being replaced. I, I think that is a um, an opinion with a lot of um, meat behind it, uh, given how he's handled not only um, matters regarding uh, sexual harassment and assault in the university, which I, I would say that alone is more than enough to say that he is not fit to lead, but I think he's also done a terrible job of handling the pandemic, and uh, um, the there have been, uh, you know, the uh, unionization efforts among the grad students um, and uh, lecturers um, and uh, I, I've also heard enough about him behind the scenes to say that he sounds um, deeply unpleasant and like somebody who should not be in charge of really any school but um, particularly um, one as large as this one and one that requires so much real leadership he's not fit and um, it's time for the university to show that it actually means what it says. And I think that begins with moving on for Mark Schlissel. All right, with uh, <laughs> I'm going to try to um, pull myself together a little bit and get on to your mailbag questions. Um, I'm sorry to start off on that tone, but um, when news like that, breaks i i do not want to ignore it and especially when you know i posted such a uh, positive piece about the football team uh earlier today as i record this um you know i i don't want it to seem like i'm burying my head in the sand and especially when the uh athletic department seems so damn content to do so um with that said let's 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 talk about some football um which i am legitimately excited about um I was originally planning to have this mailbag cover football and basketball, but uh, I'm going to save the hoop stuff for and other sports stuff. There were a couple non-football uh, and basketball-related questions for later on because uh, there's more than enough here to cover a quick podcast. I'm trying to keep these relatively short uh, and digestible, especially since I'm releasing them later in the week. And, uh, yeah, um, it's football season. 
so the first question uh, comes from at Dam Glasgow. Uh, if UM is able to win on Saturday, as I currently believe they should, barring any shocking one-game turnaround a la 2020, where are we on confidence? Wisconsin offense looks super Wisconsin, and we have N- NIU and Rutgers next. Uh, I wrote a little bit about this today. I, I I feel pretty confident just based on how Michigan looked against Western and how not good a lot of the rest of the teams on the schedule looked. I don't know how far I'm moving off of my original prediction because the other part of that article was talking about how wildly untrustworthy week one and even week two results are. It's especially coming off of, you know, a pandemic season. So I don't want to put a ton of stock into the Western Michigan game, but there are certain things that I think you can take away from that uh, that are promising. Michigan seems like they're going to have a baseline level of decent quarterback play. I know that we have been burned before when saying that, but you know McNamara looked really sharp out there, and McCarthy certainly looked like he has five-star talent, if nothing else. Um, and there were things about the offense that looked very good. I mean, they're going to get the ball to very good athletes, and they have very good athletes. Uh, we saw that with A.J. Henning and Roman Wilson on end rounds. We saw that with them getting the ball to Blake Corum. Uh, I mean, we barely even saw Donovan Edwards in that game, and he is a very exciting near five-star running back. Um, so I'm confident on that. With the defense, it's a lot of asking in later, although I feel like that was at least a past first test uh, since Western you know, had a quarterback with a, with a pulse, um, and Michigan was not really able to stop that last year. So uh, just seeing that there was a mixing up of defensive schemes – seeing that Michigan looked at least relatively comfortable running what they did uh, and that they didn't have to do anything to um, – they they didn't have to reach into their bag too much to dominate Western on either side of the ball in this game. So I feel as good as I think you can feel coming out of that, uh, but I don't know how far that moves me. And, you know, especially given the way, th- way things went for other teams like Wisconsin and Nebraska – um, and Washington, uh, in particular, I, I, I might be moved more towards like nine and three than eight and four right now. Uh, but until there's a little bit more built up, I, I, I just, I am terrified of overreacting to week one because it's, uh, it's a game that often you look back on and you go, wow, that was a that was a really wild result given how the rest of the season played out. And that can go in a positive direction or that can go in a negative direction. And uh-huh. I'm trying to stay level here as best I can. Uh, but I will say I'm encouraged. I, I'm not going to hold back on that. And uh, I, I do feel like, um, you know, I'm very much on board with, uh, you know, if not confidence, then excitement because, uh, you know, I'm hell-bent on enjoying this. Uh, The next question comes from at Z underscore Lowridge. I hope I'm not butchering that. Who is going to be the leading receiver now that Ronnie Bell is done for the season? Um, There are two leading candidates in my mind. Um, Cornelius Johnson is the first. Um, He is the other starting outside receiver. He headed into the season as kind of the most obvious guy to emerge on the outside. I still really like what he brings to the table. Um, 
and he might be targeted more often. I, I mean, he's almost certainly going to be targeted more often with Bell out. Um, but I, I think, you know, he, he caught a couple of passes working underneath against Western Michigan. We didn't see him working downfield, but um, Michigan really wasn't working the ball downfield except that one shot to Ronnie Bell until J.J. Uh, McCarthy came in. And the other receiver is the guy J.J. McCarthy hit on that ridiculous touchdown pass. Um, I think Dalen Baldwin is a very exciting player to have on the team. Uh, he was reportedly kind of limited heading into the Western game and maybe wasn't really supposed to get on the field. And then when Bell went down, they wanted him to get some live reps and he went out and caught a 69-yard very nice touchdown pass because uh, um, not only does J.J. McCarthy have a ridiculous arm, but Baldwin made a fantastic route adjustment to set the cornerback up on the inside uh, while running sort of a scramble drill type route and then adjusting when the ball went to the room he created on the outside by bringing that route to the interior of the field. And he looked quite fast. He's uh, a pretty good, good-sized receiver. I think he, he's someone who, kind of like Ronnie Bell, can operate either on the outside or in the slot. So I would not be surprised if Baldwin, uh, who was a, a pretty darn coveted transfer out of Jackson State, uh, ends up emerging as the leading receiver. Um, I, I think the s- slot snaps are probably going to be split up a little bit too much for somebody to emerge there. I do think that th- we're going to see a pretty egalitarian passing offense and that you know we're, we're not going to have somebody reeling in 80 passes, 90 passes, something like that, and having the second leading receiver have somewhere in the 40 range. I, I, I think it's going to be a pretty even spread. I enjoyed this one uh, from at Legacy Nick. Other than Tom Brady and Donovan Peoples-Jones, what other late-round Michigan draft picks have been exceptional steals for their franchises? Um, so I went through uh, Michigan's draft list since about 1990, limited this to fifth-round picks and later in the draft. Um, also included an undrafted guy in there. Um, starting as the with the oldest one, uh, Elvis Gerbeck was an eighth-round pick in 1993, number 219 overall. Uh, he started 70 career games, threw 99 touchdowns, only 81 interceptions, um, was a pretty steady starter for a few different teams, um, especially, I mean, those are solid numbers for that era. And... Also was a Sports Illustrated Sexiest Man Alive. Uh, if you don't know that story, Google it. Um, that's that's pretty solid for a draft pick in a round that no longer exists. Uh, next up on my list, uh, there was kind of a, a lengthy period of time where Michigan didn't have any draft steals, but did have a lot of high-end draft picks. So the next one is in 2000. Um, a couple guys from, from that season, and this was also the year that Tom Brady went off the board, and I didn't even get to include him in this. Um, Dahani Jones uh, was 177th overall going in the sixth round. He had 889 tackles in a 10-year career and launched like a international television hosting career. So uh, good on him for all of that. And James Hall went undrafted and had 62 sacks over 12 seasons for the Lions and the Rams. He was an excellent uh, kind of stand-up rush linebacker, uh, rush end type, um, and somebody who definitely should have been picked. Uh, Moving on to 2002, Jonathan Goodwin, uh, an interior lineman, went in the fifth round, number 154 overall. 
He started 122 games in 13 years. He was uh, the starting center and a pro bowler for the um, Super Bowl champion New Orleans Saints teams with Drew Brees. Um, don't really need to specify Drew Brees there, I guess, because um, there's only one New Orleans Saints Super Bowl champion team, but good one started on it. Um, not bad for a fifth rounder. Uh, 2003, very next season, Cato June went in the sixth round, 198th overall, moved from safety to linebacker in the NFL, and... Uh, made a second team all pro and won the Super Bowl with the Colts. Um he kind of had a short but intense peak, but uh for a sixth rounder, you're generally just glad if they stick on the team. Uh and my final player, sadly it has been um pretty dry of late, uh especially when you remove Jonathan Donovan Peoples Jones from the equation, but um Steve Breston was a fifth rounder in 2007, 142nd off the board. Uh Another one who kind of had a a solid but brief peak. He had 700 or more receiving yards for four straight seasons, including a 1,000-yard season. In his second year for the Arizona Cardinals, um, served as a kick returner and punt returner, had a touchdown on a punt return, um, and then I I believe his career ended um, a couple seasons after that. Um, But that is your list of uh, uh, pretty solid steals. for Michigan late in the draft, it would be very nice to add some more players from, you know, recent decades. Um, and it, it does seem like we're on track for that, um, especially with uh, DPJ in the league. Next question comes via email from Jeff Chonko. Um, question this week was something related to what I heard uh, regarding the idea of reads or rather the lack thereof. Is it a legitimate concern that it seems like Cade McNamara and company aren't either being coached to take that opportunity when presented, or the quote-unquote read isn't a part of the offensive concepts currently employed by Josh Gaddis? It seems like adding this component in would be a natural evolution of the offense as a whole, no? I mean, I I can't help but agree that it would be a natural part of the evolution. Uh, I do think it is... Uh, <laughs> it shows how badly we've been burned before that we are, uh, this is a, a major topic of concern after a game in which Michigan put up uh, something like 550 yards on nine yards per play in a, an extremely comfortable win against a Mac team in the opener. I would have been concerned if Michigan decided to make their quarterback live in this game. Um, I'm glad they didn't have reads in the run game right now. Uh, if that is still the case when Michigan faces a team where they actually need to get every edge they can out of the offense, then I'm ready to be concerned about it. But I know that there have been issues in the past with either, I don't know whether it was Josh Gaddis and Jim Harbaugh kind of doing a tug of war over control of the offense with Ed Warner also kind of coming in from the side um, or issues with, past quarterbacks just not being capable of making those reads. Uh, I mean, based on what we saw of Shea Patterson, he wasn't doing them consistently. And last year was a COVID season um, where Michigan switched between quarterbacks because of inefficacy and injury. So Gattis hasn't had much of a chance to really install his ideal running game, I don't think. And... I don't expect Michigan to have their quarterbacks running all over the place, but I do expect to see some designed reads in there because they're setting them up and it only makes sense to do them 
and I am not going to just expect a very strange failure until it happens. Even though Michigan has had many strange failures recently, I, I know that uh, there is also a reason on the other side of this, but I I just, seeing what they were setting up and knowing the circumstance, I think they're setting up reads. And whether it's against Washington, we'll see. Washington did just lose to Montana. So um, we'll see when Michigan decides to break out its fully formed offense. It may wait until Wisconsin, given how Wisconsin played against Penn State. It may even be after that. Who knows? And you do install stuff also over the course of an entire season. Um, But given McNamara's command of the passing game, I I think there's – I I don't think it would be too much to ask him to also make a few reads in the run game, uh, maybe throw a couple RPOs in there. And – that would obviously be a huge addition to the offense and really raise its ceiling. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not concerned that they did not show much of that at all in the Western Michigan game because again, it would have been um, very unnecessary for them to let their quarterbacks get hit. Next question comes from at Takao Yamada. What would it take to get you to buy all the way back in from in on Harbaugh other than a win over an Ohio State University? Um, given what I let off the podcast with, uh, walking back his comments on Bo Schembechler would be a really great start. Um, but in terms of actual football stuff, I, I, I think just, you know, if they, if they get nine or 10 wins and put together, you know, a top 10, top 15 level recruiting class and look like, you know, if they don't get a win over Ohio state that they can at least, um, compete with them. You know, some of this is going to end up being feeling small in terms of uh, how the team looks in terms of their success. Because obviously we've seen a Michigan before under Jim Harbaugh that can win a lot of games but not be competitive in the conference. And I would like to see them move past it. They have the talent to do so. Uh, but, you know, Michigan is obviously intent on Jim Harbaugh working out. Otherwise, they would have just fired him after last season. Uh, so even though they had the leverage to rework his contract in a way that made it easy to get out from under it uh I, I i mean based on how they look i think they're you know they're kind of on course to to earn some buy-in with uh some offensive improvement and you know hopefully the defense holding it together um but if it if it starts to fall apart at the seams a little bit if it doesn't seem like the offense continues to modernize or um we start seeing those same problems with the defense that we did last year, um, then I'll be pretty ready to move on. Particularly if Harbaugh doesn't walk back his comments about Bo Schembechler, um, which really, really do require a public apology and explanation. Um, is anybody at the university listening to this? Anyone? That'd be good. Final question comes from at Brujual Suspects on Twitter. Um, this is uh, pretty related to the last one. If Michigan keeps Jim Harbaugh at the end of this year, do you think Matt Campbell ends up somewhere else? Does Campbell to Nebraska seem to be in play if this is the bad timeline? Um, I will defer. I, I don't claim to know Matt Campbell's intentions. Um, I can kind of guess things, but uh, I can only go on what I hear from people I trust. And one of those people is... Stephen Godfrey, who I did have on the podcast uh, a couple months ago. And and one thing he said on there was that 
Matt Campbell's list is probably shorter than you think. Um, and it also probably includes Michigan. Uh, so that's, that's good news. Um, and it may create a scenario in which uh, Campbell, particularly if there isn't really a, a marquee job that opens up that um, also has him as their top target, could potentially sit tight. He sat tight after last season. And Michigan could get an extra year to see where the Jim Harbaugh era leads us while still having a chance to hire Campbell. I am not particularly worried, uh, at least yet, until I hear something otherwise about the Nebraska job because that does not really make sense to me as a move for for Campbell. Um, That is a program that is in a similarly bad region for recruiting, pretty much the same bad region region for recruiting. Um, The program is not in a good place. The expectations are very out of line with what the program can achieve. They're in the Big Ten West, um, and there's still a bottom feeder there. There's not a lot of there's not a there's not a great path for them to winning a conference title anytime in the near future. And I don't think that is the type of job that Campbell would want to step into straight out of Iowa State. That said, the longer you wait, obviously the the greater chance that Campbell gets snatched up, and with the Impending departures of Texas and Oklahoma from the Big 12, Campbell may look around at his surroundings and go, yeah, it's it's time to bail here. And, yeah, I mean, he's not going to be in Ames forever. So, uh, I mean, I, th- I think you all know my thoughts on Campbell. I, I, I think he's a remarkably good coach. I wanted Michigan to get rid of Jim Harbaugh and hire him after last season. Um, and... It's quite possible that if Harbaugh does enough to keep his job, that Michigan misses out on a, you know, I'll, I'll quote Godfrey here when I'm saying that um, he called Campbell something like a, you know, we'll go with top tier coach. Um, I don't want to go with generational. Um, so that that is the risk. At the same time, I'm not going to sit here and root against the program succeeding this year, especially if that success can take Michigan anywhere in the vicinity of upsetting Ohio State. Um, it has been too long. I am too ready to unleash what is pent up from not being able to celebrate that since 2011. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Michigan put themselves in kind of a weird position here, and, and those are the consequences. Um, but the good news is Michigan should still be able to hire a marquee coach whenever they do move on from Jim Harbaugh. It's just that that marquee coach may not be Matt Campbell if uh, the timing doesn't line up. That said, Campbell's list is going to be relatively tight. He's good enough where he can be very picky. And Iowa State is in a position right now where Campbell can uh, rest on his laurels for a little bit if he wants to. Um, we'll see if that that message looks a little bit different after El Asico this weekend. But uh, for now, uh, that is where we're going to end the first solo show. Um, thank you so much for listening. And um, look uh, look ahead to this being part of a subscription package uh, with thebucketproblem.com very soon. I really appreciate everyone's support as I've launched this, and I, I hope you'll follow along as I 
hopefully turn this into something that uh, I can make a living off of. Um, so thank you. I, I really appreciate everybody who's uh, who's stuck with this and uh, everybody who will hopefully hop aboard going forward. So thanks again. This has been The Solo Show. <laughs>